earlier this year, um, a writer for the Huffington Post conducted a survey on what were people's greatest desires. Huffington Post is is not a Christian publication or anything, and I don't espouse uh, you know everything that, that they have written you know in their publication. Uh, but I, I bring it up to this is a secular survey. And the survey was, what were people's greatest desires? And a thousand people responded to this question. If you could say in one word what you want more of in life, what would it be? Of all the things that people indicated that, that they wanted more of, the following were the ten most frequently answered things. As I read these things, you're going to see an obvious connection to us as the church. Number one, their greatest desire was for more happiness. Happiness was number one. Money was number two. I would have guessed that those would have been flip-flopped. Happiness was one. Money was two. Freedom was three. But when asked what that meant, this is what the answer was. It was having the freedom to find my true purpose. That was number three. Number four was peace. Number five was joy. Number six was balance. Namely, understanding my non-negotiables, what you won't do, what you won't compromise on. Understanding my non-negotiables and then making right decisions that align with my life's top priorities. We would call that godly order. Number seven was fulfillment. Fulfillment is described and defined as this. Understand or um, satisfaction or happiness as a result of fully developing one's abilities or character. That's fulfillment. Quite simply, we can't experience fulfillment if we don't develop and live with character. Number eight was confidence. Number nine was stability. Number 10 was passion. These were the 10 most common answers given in a secular survey of what were their greatest desires. Friends, we need to see the need to tell people about Jesus, to let the light of God that's within us to shine brightly because the things that the world needs, the things that the world is desiring are found in Jesus Christ. They are found in a, a loving relationship with God. And, and they're hungry, and they're hurting, and they're unfulfilled, and they're unstable, and they're unhappy. And we've got Jesus. With the exception of money, number two, every single one of these things was found in Jesus. And we know that we're not going to call it money, but we know that as children of God, there's blessing. There's blessing. So what is God's greatest desire? What is God's greatest desire? Since our God is made up of three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, then I will provide three answers to this question. What is God's greatest desire? In Exodus 19, we pick up with the Father talking, and this is what he says. You yourselves have seen 
what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Friends, when we have been in the presence of God, and we have experienced the presence of the Father, then obeying Him, keeping His commandments, it's never done out of obligation. We should never be afraid in the Word of God when it talks about obedience. We should never be afraid of that because it's never about obligation. It is always about affection. Always. We obey the Lord, not out of obligation or religious, uh, you know, debt. We love Him. We've been in His presence. We felt His love. We're convinced of His love for us. So when He says, do this, we don't question it. We don't bow our backs because we're like, I feel this love, so surely what this is is best for me, or you wouldn't say it. So clearly I'm going to do it, Lord. Gladly I'm going to do it, Lord. Does that make sense? In the eight verses that I'm about to read from Ephesians chapter 1, 3 through 10, the pronouns he, him, and his, in those eight verses are used 15 times. Also in these eight verses are the subjects God, Father, Lord, not Godfather, God, comma, Father, comma, Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, and Beloved. So those are the subjects. So since there are so many personal and, and possessive pronouns of he and his, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and insert the subject as we read this passage from Ephesians 1. Because um, if we don't know the subject of all those, sometimes it makes it a little challenging to read. So, Ephesians 1, 3 through 10. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He, Father, chose us in Him, in Jesus Christ, before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him, the Father. In love, the Father predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of the Father's will, to the praise of the Father's glorious grace, with which our Father has blessed us in the Beloved, in Jesus. In Jesus, we have redemption through Jesus' blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of the Father's grace, which the Father lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His, the Father's will, according to the Father's purpose, which the Father set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of all time to unite all things in Jesus. Things in heaven and things on earth. 
friends, the Father's greatest desire. His greatest desire is to be close and near and intimate with us, with his people, with the people he created. The Bible says that, that God desires that not one would perish, not one would die. Now, and, and just so you know, right now, there's a lot of living people that are perishing right now. This is not just about hell, but it is about hell. But it's not just about hell. There's a lot of people that are perishing right now, and it's God's desire that not one would perish. So what is his desire? That we would be near to him. That we would be close to him. That we would understand affection and intimacy with him and not, and not be afraid of it because we associate it with an earthly father or a hurtful experience. Because see, when we're drawn into the Father's presence and we experience Him, there is no mistaking our Heavenly Father and our earthly Father. No mistaking. I don't care how good our earthly fathers are. Exodus 19 and Ephesians 1 show us that the greatest desire of God's heart is to gather His people unto Himself and for us to enjoy all the benefits that come with nearness and closeness and intimacy. This is not about knowledge of God. This is about knowing God. And there is no knowing God without experiencing His presence. Do you guys hear me? There is no knowing God without experiencing his presence. Because see, that's not found in a book. That's not found in a seminary. It's not found. Knowing God is found in his presence and being touched by him and changed by him. To know God is to experience him moving in and through our lives. In and through our lives. Because I get the thrill right now. Right now, I'm experiencing God in a very cool way. There's zero doubt in my mind of his love. I, I, I'm right now in this moment. His, his love is working through me. We get that opportunity all the time, guys. My, my opportunity doesn't end when my preach ends. My, my opportunity doesn't end when I go home and I change into silver and black. I get to receive his love in me. I get to, to show his love and experience his love through me all the time. If I'm willing, if I'm aware, if I'm intentional, if I'm open, if he's drawn, if I'm not resistant, if he's drawing us to him, you know, on the wings of eagles, drawing him, lifting us unto him, all we got to do is go with it, baby. All we got to do is just go with it and not resist him. We know God when we allow the Father to lift us and bring us close and intimately unto himself. So what is God the Son? What is Jesus' greatest desire? I want to read from one of the most remarkable passages of Scripture. John 17. I love John 17. 
See, John 17, Jesus begins to pray to the Father. See, John 16 and, and prior, you know, what, what happened? Jesus is, is with the disciples. They're, they're in the upper room. They have the Last Supper. He shares with them the most important things that are on his heart to share as his last bit of encouragement to them. And then he looks to heaven, and we see in John 17, he prays the most amazing prayer to the Father. So let's, let's back up just a bit before we get to 17, and let's see these words shown in John 16, what Jesus closed with as those important encouragements. John 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go... What will happen? I will send him to you. Friends, Jesus is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. Jesus sends the Holy Spirit. He baptizes us in the Holy Spirit. And he says, it's better that I go away. Because if I don't, but if I do, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convince the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Let's go down to verse 12. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. The Holy Spirit will glorify me. For he will take what is mine, this is Jesus speaking, which is all that the Father has. What's, what's Jesus is, is all that the Father has. He will take what is mine and declare it to you. So I want us to get this visual right here of the Holy Spirit says he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. Whatever he hears from, from the Father. So, is he on the phone with the Father? Or is he right there in the Father's presence? Right there attentively listening to what the Father says so he can reveal truth to us. After Jesus tells them about the coming Holy Spirit, he tells them to fear not. He tells them to, that he has overcome the world. And then we read in chapter 17, verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven. By the way, I love that. If I can just pause. I love that. When we pray, guys, when we're talking to the Lord, Eyes closed, eyes open. It, that's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about having our eyes lifted to heaven when we pray. If the Holy Spirit is right there in the presence of the Father, attentively listening, when we pray, we should do the same and attentively listen and expect God to reply to us. So Jesus lifts his eyes to heaven and he begins to pray. And he says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son 
that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do, and now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. That's interesting. I want to pause right there because he's going to talk about glory again. He's going to talk about glory he had and glory he was given. And they're different. What is he talking about here? The glory that I had with you before. This glory that he's talking about is glory of being the one true God, the, the son of the living God, of always being God. This is the glory of being in the presence of the Father throughout all time when he said, let us create man in our image. When, when God said that, it's because the Godhead was present. So this is the glory that he's talking about before. In the presence of the Lord, constantly. In the presence. God together. And then he came to this earth. And it was different. It was different for 30 years. Because he was on this earth. And then 30 years into his life, he went into the water to be baptized by John. And a voice from heaven came out, and the Spirit of God descended upon him as, as a dove. And the Father said, This is my Son, whom I love. In him I am well pleased. And the, and the Holy Spirit fell upon him. And from that point, something changed. From that point, once again, the access he had to the Father, before it was back again. There was something different. We're going to get to that in one second. Let's pick up in verse 20. I do not ask for these only. He's talking about the disciples that are here with him. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, who will believe in me because of their testimony of the disciples, who will believe in me because of the writings of the disciples, who will believe in me because of our testimony and possibly our writings. No one wants to write a book. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them. Remember I said it was different, right? We had the glory I had, and now the glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. So we went over what the glory was that Jesus had had. Had had. So like Peyton Manning. Had had! Omaha! So what he had had, and now we're seeing Jesus talking about what was given. 
And when he's talking about this glory, what was given to him, he's saying, I've given it to them. I've given it to them. The glory you gave me, I've given it to them so that they can be one, so that they can unify, so that they can be perfectly whole. What is he talking about? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. And specifically, the access that the power of the Holy Spirit provides for us to get right into the presence of the Father. He's saying, I've given it to them. You guys, this is radical. No one had access to the Father up to this point until the work of Jesus Christ. And no one has access to the Father except through the work of, of Jesus Christ. And the power of the Holy Spirit makes it instantly possible. Instantly possible. I think part of that power is making us aware of it. You see, I can walk around in the presence of God and not be aware of His presence because I'm so consumed with the things of this earth. Walking around with His presence, not even aware of it. And the Holy Spirit, who guides us into all truth, who reminds us of all things, brings us and says, Oh my gosh, Lord, I'm not alone. Lord, I'm... Hope is not lost. Lord, I'm with you. I believe that this glory is the ability to have complete access to the presence of the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit while Jesus was here on earth. The Holy Spirit gave Jesus access to the Father. I'm always amazed at the words of Jesus saying, it's better that I go away so I can send you the Holy Spirit. He's talking firsthand. He's talking firsthand. You guys, it's better It's better that I go away so I can send you the Holy Spirit. If I can only tell you what he's done in my life and what he's, he's provided me, the Son of God, with, it's better that I go away. That's radical, you guys. So what is Jesus, God the Son's greatest desire. Let's look at the next verse, verse 24. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given to me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. As Father, like Son, What is Jesus' greatest desire? That we would be drawn unto him. Jesus says, Father, I desire that they be where I am. Where is Jesus right now? With the Father, seated at the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning in grace and glory. He is with the Father, and he's like, Father, what I really desire is that these that you've given me, that they would be with me where I am. He's not talking about you know, going into the garden of Gethsemane. They're, they're already with him. He's talking, about, he's talking about that they would be in your presence, Lord. And then he mentions the glory one more time, that, that we'd all be together, one big family. Father, you, Holy Spirit, you, me, and all of them together in your presence, Father. This is amazing. Jesus desires that we would be brought to where he is. And he desires that we would see the power of the Holy Spirit bring us into the presence of the Father with the same free access that Jesus had. The greatest desire that Jesus had was that we would see the glory 
that God had given Jesus, which was what? Full access into the presence of God. Let's look at this next verse here. Verse 25. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, which I will continue to make it known, so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. So that the love that you have loved me with would be in them. This is Jesus' desire for us. He's praying, asking this of God. Let the desire, Lord, let the love that you love me with be in them. The unconditional love and pleasure that you have taken in me and that you have loved me with. Would you love them the same way? He's praying for us. Would you love them the same way that you have loved me? greatest desire of the Father and the greatest desire of the Son are the exact same things. Anybody want to guess what the greatest desire of God the Holy Spirit is? The exact, you guys are so smart. The exact same thing. I kind of tricked you that there were three different answers, but there are three different answers because there are three unique persons, but they're in unity and they are focused on the same thing. Their desire is that we come unto Him. That we be brought unto Him. What unity we see in God. What unity we see in this passage. The desire for, that, we, that we be one. That they would be one as we are one. The desire for oneness. It's all throughout this prayer. This powerful prayer that Jesus makes to the Father. Jesus tells us in Psalm 1611 that in God's presence there is fullness of joy. Of course there is. Of course there is. Because you know who's there in God's presence? All of them. You know who's there in God's presence? The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. The Father lifting us to Him on eagle's wings. There in his presence, you'll find our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who was obedient, lovingly, affectionately obedient to the Father to lay down his life and then powerful to raise it up again. You'll find Jesus there, seated at the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning in grace and glory. And you'll find the Holy Spirit listening to the mystery of of the Father and His plan through Jesus Christ and listening to the mystery that we are included in this plan to bring others to Him. And the Holy Spirit speaking that truth to us. If we examine John 17, we see it why it's so important to Jesus that we be in the Father's presence and that we be perfectly aligned and in perfect unity with Him. Because in the presence of God, three powerful things happen. We see this in John 17. In the presence of God, these three things happen. Number one, we learn to love each other. We learn to love each other. 
in the manifest presence of God, we learn to love one another. Jesus says we are one, complete and total. So theological differences don't matter. Gender issues don't matter. Race issues don't matter. Socioeconomic issues don't matter. Political issues don't matter because we are one in Him. And so when we are one and we stand shoulder to shoulder, we find ourselves standing together at the foot of the cross. Together. When we are one, the other things just don't matter. In his presence, we learn to love one another. In his presence, we know that God loves us. I will say this. This is the thing that happens every time we're in his presence. This is consistently always there. Always. When we're in his presence, we are convinced that he loves us. When we're in the presence of God, and we let him lift us up, we're like, ah, oh my gosh. We feel his love. We know that we are loved. This is the greatest thing that happens in his presence, being convinced of his love. And then number three, in his presence, God shows the world his love through us. You guys, won't you join me in earnestly desiring that God receives his greatest desire? Won't you join me in setting our hearts to just agreement that God gets his desire? That God gets his greatest desire near, close, intimate with us and with the world that needs to know that he is a loving God.